Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, let's try that again. That was sad. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, I'm back. I haven't been, I hadn't spoken in three weeks, so y'all better get ready. I will be out of here by two thirty or so. I'm just kidding. I want a big dog snow cone too. Let me first say hello. I know we got a bunch of people still traveling, getting that last weekend in before school starts tomorrow. So let me tell everybody online: we love you. If you're home here, we miss you. If you're joining us and visiting in the room or online. It's awesome to have you here, and I consider it a high honor and privilege that you choose to come hang out with us. If you need anything, find somebody with a Dream Team tag that says, hello, my name is, and they will be glad to help you. I want to do something real quick before we jump into the Word today. How many of you are either starting school back tomorrow or be teaching those who are starting back school tomorrow? All right, I'm going to ask you to do something big here. I know it's big, but I'm just going to ask you to stand up real quick. I want to pray and bless you. Come on now. Just the teachers and school officials and if you're at home, stand up too. If you're driving, stay seated. I want to bless you guys because I think what Lauren said is very, very true. To all of you students who are starting school tomorrow, no matter what grade you're in, I truly believe this in my heart of hearts. And I tell Mabel this just about every day. I tell Mabel this. I'll ask her a question. I'll say, you are a leader, not a, and I'll stop. And she'll say, not a follower. And I'll make her say it with me. You're a leader, not a follower. For those of you students who are starting school, hear me. You're a leader, not a follower. God's put you in your class, in the people that you're going to be around for this next year for a reason. Don't waste it. Be bold. Somebody needs something, pray, or somebody's hurting, pray for them. Just show them love. At, at minimum, invite them to church to come find the God that we serve that loves them. Amen? For those of you who are teaching, the same is true with you. You may not be the head of your school, but in your classrooms and the teachers that you have, uh, the kids that you have influence over, you're a leader. You're not just leading them and teaching them. I believe that, that what, you, what you say and even how you say it imparts life to those kids. And you can say it through the eyes and ears of somebody who serves the loving God. Amen? I also believe what Lauren said is it's a crazy time with kids and, and families and crazy things going on in schools and our world seems to get more upside down every day. And so I'm going to pray and I believe that God's going to bless you, keep you safe, and going to use all of you to change the world out there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, that, that I even get to be on this team standing in front of these students and teachers and admins, Father God, that are going out there into our school system to change the world. And God, I thank you for supernatural safety, first and foremost, that every step they take, every room they enter, every building they enter or exit is holy and sacred and protected by the angels of heaven just because you love them, Father God, and you have life for us. God, I bless them with health. God, we curse this mess, this virus that's still going around. God, we thank you that we are above that, not because we're special, but because we're blessed and anointed by you, God. God, for those teachers, I thank you that everything they say will honor you, Father God, and be seed sown into the hearts of their students, that God reaps life, and not just life here on this earth, God, but eternal life. And I thank you for it, God. I thank you for all those students, God, that you give them wisdom and knowledge as they, every exam they take, every, every homework they do, every report they write, 
God, everything they do, they'll not only do to honor you, but they'll do in your wisdom. And God, we thank you that you've chosen us to be on your team in the school system. And again, we leave here today with the intention to go do our best in our jobs and in our education. But God, we leave here today to go into those schools and to make a difference. No matter what school we're in, no matter where that school's located, God, we are stepping into the world to bring you to hurting people. And we bless them now, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, we're going to start a series today that if you've been here a while, it's going to sound a little familiar. And I get asked usually yearly, hey, why are you doing this again? And I do this every year about this time because it's foundational for who we are, for who we are as a church, for who we are um, as people. It's the path that, I, that my job as a, as a pastor is to keep us all kind of marching, going the same direction, following God, but following kind of the vision that God's given us. And that's what we're going to march out. Because I want you to understand something. I want you to understand our why. Because our why points us to what you hear me say all the time of, we all have one what? One step to take, right? Everybody, no matter whether you've been serving God for 30 years, or maybe you're just trying to figure this whole God thing out, and you've not, you've not made a commitment to Jesus we all have that one step to take, but the thing we have to do first is understand our why. Because, and I'll throw it on the screen here behind me, when we understand our why or our reason, then you'll understand the what we do and how we do it. You see, where, the question then becomes, where do we get our why from? Where do we get our vision from? Because the Bible's very clear of what happens to people who don't have any direction. To people who maybe, if you think about a sailboat, and in that sailboat, if there's, if there's no rudder, there's nothing down below to guide, and we just break that off, there's nothing really to drive it. If you, if you snap the, the steering cable off of a motorboat, and it, the motor can just go where it wants, there's no way to really guide that. And that's really kind of what the Bible says happens to us. It says this in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no vision or no revelation, people cast off restraints. See, the Bible, we teach a lot of churches, I say, to teach people that the Bible is restrictive and it, it doesn't let you have any fun and it tells you all the things you can't do. See, I don't believe that. See, I think what God does is he gives us a lane to run in. He gives us a, the walls on the track. It says, if you just stay in between these walls... You'll be safe. You'll have everything I have for you. You'll be prosperous. I was watching yesterday one of the NASCAR races, and there's a section, uh, they call it a chicane, where it does an S, it does this. And the whole point of those racers, as they drive it, they try to figure out how to get through the curve in the straightest line possible. And see, sometimes I think we do that for God instead of just letting him lead us through the path. His vision guide us. Let that direction take us where we need to go. Look what that same verse in the message says this. If people can't see what God's doing, they can't see his guides, then they're going to stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most what? 
Let's say that again. Most blessed. Now, it's kind of a dumb question, but how many of you say, oh, well, I want most blessed. I don't want just partial blessed. I want to be most blessed. I want the blessing that he's, everything he's got for me. If God's got it and it's good, I want it. Now, I'm not referring back to the old, some of, the, some of these like, Pentecostal charismatic people. And they, they say, this, it's a blab it, grab it. They say, um, I'm just going to go get this because I want, all the, I want all that God has for me. And they really, what they're doing, they're just being greedy. And they're trying to obligate God. But we don't have to obligate God because he says, I'm going to give you the most blessed. I'm going to give you everything that you need. You just got to follow my directions. See, in other words, there, God's got promises for us. And he's things God's always wanted. And we talk about this regularly here. And God's made it clear of what he wants for us. But in these promises, he gives us the why. And he gives us what he wants. And here's what it really is. His wants become our why. Does that make sense? The thing that God says, I want, not only in the earth, but I want in you, become our reason for everything we do. And we break it down in for us to four steps. And I'm going to give it to you in a little bit different wording this morning. And I want you to see this. Here's what God wants. He wants lost people saved. He wants those who don't know him to what? To know him. Is that confusing to anybody? Okay, good. I, we, this is cookies on the bottom shelf, as simple as we can make it. Then once you're saved... He wants the saved people to be pastored. He wants those saved people to be, to be taken care of, to be helped through, to get rid of their past, to get off the weight of the past, the hurts of the past, the hurt and damaged relationships, so things that, that hurt them, and they begin to move forward in life. Then he wants the pastored people to be trained. So what we would say is discover your purpose, to figure out why I'm here on this earth. What's, what, am I, what am I here to do? What's my part on the team? And then he wants those trained people to not just sit in a chair. Because how many of you would agree, if we just sit in the chairs in here and never do anything out there, we're wasting our time. At, at best, we're not following what God has for us to do. We're not being disciples and making disciples. He wants trained people mobilized. He wants us making a difference. He wants us inviting people to sit in the seats beside us. He wants us going to those who, who are hurting, who are going through a tough time in their marriage, who are struggling in life. He wants them here, and the way they do that is when the trained people get mobilized. Look what the Bible says in First Peter, or sorry, Second Peter. Chapter 1, 4 and 5, it says, He's given us this great and precious promise. And these are the promises that enable you to share in His divine nature and escape the, the world's corruption caused by human desires. In other words, He's, he's going to give you a way out. He's going to give you a way for the lost people to get saved. And then He's going to give the lost people who get saved, those saved people, to be healed and, and uh, forgiven and moving on from the hurts of life, then to move into discovering what their purpose is, to be trained, 
be taught how to run sound, do light, sing on the praise team. My important thing that's near and dear to me is to serve those kids next door. To, to, be, to be a blessing, to go serve the kids in the school system, to, to get out of these walls and go do something, get mobilized and make a difference. Look what the Bible says, go on in verse 5. It says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. There's something that we need to do, something that you need to do. And it's, here's where I, I'm honest with people, because a lot of times I think in churches we don't want to present what's ahead of us as it's going to be work. But it definitely is going to be work. The guys who were outside, I don't know if you saw it when they came in, they're getting ready for the snow cone people to show up, and they were out there setting up tents. And I don't know if you noticed outside or not, but it's a little warm. And they're out there, and I, just, I walk over from next door doing my rounds, and just I, it blessed my heart to see all these guys just working, getting stuff done, and they're all just pouring sweat. Nobody's complaining. They're smiling. They have a good attitude because what they do is going to affect somebody's life. It says to make every effort. I had a football coach that was my position coach when I was in high school, and he would constantly write us about effort. You didn't get to where you were supposed to be on the snap of the ball. Why not? And I would say, I try. Well, your effort's not good enough. Give every effort. Did you leave it all on the field on that play? Well, no, I could have gone a little faster. Okay, well, go faster. I know some of you guys are coaches. If you want your kids to give, give good effort. Sometimes trying is just an excuse for not really caring. But you want honest to God effort. And that's what God's asking for us. You're going to make effort to respond to the things he's promised us. Because here's what the truth is. I need to know, understand, and pursue God's promises. They do us no good if we don't do all three. Because there are people who know about them. Then there are people who maybe they've kind of figured out what it is. But if they don't pursue it, it doesn't help at all. It, can't, it doesn't affect their lives. Let me give you a good example. Anybody, an honest, don't get religious on me, who bought a $1.34 billion lotto ticket yesterday or Friday? Man, I was hoping more of y'all would have. <laughs> because I'll take the tithe off $1.34 billion. Now, from what I saw, somebody, some lucky person in in Illinois won. But what if I asked you to raise your hand? How many of you, if I asked you, well, did you check your numbers? I guarantee you there's none of you that said, I didn't really think about checking my numbers. Nobody, you may forget a two million, a three million, a five million, ten, but nobody's gonna look me in the eye and tell and lie to me and tell me they forgot about a one point three four billion dollar lotto ticket. We all checked it. I didn't even buy one and I checked it. But if you don't know what that thing promises and you don't know that it's valid, let's say we have those numbers and you throw it in a drawer, is it still worth $1.34 billion? Yes, it is. For one, uh, 360, you have 365 days to claim it. You have 19 or 20 days to claim the one-time withdrawal, the lump sum. But you have 365 days. Some of you are sitting on your lotto tickets. The full value is in the drawer in your house or in that little console where all the garbage goes in your, in your car. 
and we act like we don't know it's there. We don't pursue it. But I promise you, if I told you, so-and-so, you have the winning ticket, it's in your car, we would all be, I'd be breaking into hurt somebody's car. We'd be tearing the cars apart in the parking lot to find a $1.34 billion, right? Why? Because it has value and it has a promise. See, I think we need to pursue God's promises that way. And that's why we tell people, everybody has a step to take. Everybody has a place to go. Everybody has a part to play. Nobody has arrived. If you have arrived, that's the thing you need to fix because you haven't arrived. We've all got steps to take. And this, is, this pursuit is why it's so important. And I'll have people tell me, well, Clint, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I lived in the last five years of my life. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know the things I've said, the things I've smoked, the things I've injected, the th people I've been with, the this, the this, the this, the this. You just don't know. And my answer is this. God doesn't lie. Numbers 23, 19 tells us this. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He never changes his mind. He never says anything that he doesn't do. And he's never failed on a promise. From that, I see this. You cannot sin enough to disqualify yourself from God's promises. And let that lay down, lay a minute, hang out there. You cannot sin enough that I truly believe that we've heard stories about the most depraved people, the most evil people, that the moment they say, Jesus, I need you, no matter what they've done, the Bible says they are for what? Forgiven. One of my favorite stories to tell, and you've heard me probably tell this a thousand times, was reading a story, I mean an article written by the prison chaplain that was the prison chaplain to Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of y'all know who, the younger ones may not know. Jeffrey Dahmer was the guy who got arrested. He was burying bodies in his backyard and basically eating people. Got put away for life. Got put in prison. This chaplain started meeting with him. He has a genuine salvation experience. He meets Jesus. A few weeks, maybe days later, he's beaten to death in prison. Now, I would say that's a pretty nasty human being, right? We take any one of us, Jesus comes back today, we all get out of here. And we walk into heaven, you could have a house right next to him. Miss Perfect, Mr. Perfect, never sinned, never done anything wrong, always in Sunday school, always tithe, always give, everything's perfect, and you'd be right next to him. Why? Because you can never sin enough to disqualify yourself from the forgiveness that Jesus offers. That ought to be an amen for some of us. That no matter what I've done, the Bible says that God will forgive me. Now, there may be consequences to deal with because we're talking about eternity, not life here on earth. You see, the other trap we fall into is that, well, that's not me, Clint. I'm not, I'm not horrible. I, I'm not doing bad things, but my life's good. And this is why I encourage us every year in this vision. My life's good. My wife is good. My kids are good. They'll well behave. Their grades are good. My finances are good. I got a new, new car, new truck. It's all good. I'm just good. Be careful because it's a trap. It is a trap that you can fall into, and when you do, it becomes something that the, I think the devil uses us to keep us from taking your one step and moving forward and moving things, moving toward where God has for you. 
that you always need to know this. God always has more for you. Not more to say, hey, look what I got, look at my stuff, look at me. But more to say, when I give you more, God does what? He expects more. I'm going to give you more so you can reach more. I'm going to bless your finances so you can give more. I'm going to bless the church so they can reach more. I'm going to tell you an example of it. Only the trustees know about this. Um, as of Friday, because of your generosity, we sent $30,000 to Honduras to buy property for a permanent care point in, in Soto Guada, Honduras. <laughs> Sylvania. Little church, Sylvania. Little believers church is inter affecting an entire little town's future because we're generous and because God's given us more. And when God gives us more, we do more. We don't get big to get big. Somebody said to me the other day, well, you're all about numbers. And I said, you better believe it. And they said, well, how can you be all about numbers? Because I heard, I didn't say this, but I, I stole it. And it just, it's something that resonates in my heart. That every number has a name and every name has a story. And every one of those stories, every story in this county matters to God. That's why it's important. Why do we grow to get big and say, well, look how big we are. Look what all we got. We got 52 grow groups. We got all this, all this going on. And we got snow cones today. No. We do it because there's somebody out there who believes their story doesn't matter. Who doesn't know God. They're bound up in their, in their past. They feel like they have no purpose. And they're not on a team and they feel like nobody cares. That's why we do what we do. I want to give you these things real quick. I'm going to go fast. These four core promises. If you've been around, you've heard them before. I'm going to read this verse in Exodus chapter 6. If you don't know, in the Bible, this is, a, this is where the, the people of God are celebrating when the death angel came over Egypt and God said, hey, put the blood of a lamb over your door and all, all my people are going to be saved. And the fir your firstborns won't die, but all the Egyptian firstborns are going to die. And so every year they would celebrate the fact that Jesus saved them, I mean that God saved them and, and protected them. And he does these four I wills. And I highlighted them on the screen behind me. I'm just going to read this real quick and then give you our four. <clears throat> that I truly believe of the thousand promises in the Bible... They're all, kind of, they're all kind of collated together in these four. And then here it goes. Therefore I say to the Israelites, this is God talking to his people, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You can know God. I will free you from being slaves. You can be free from your past, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm going to show you your purpose and put you back to the reason that I created you. The world's twisted it. The world's twisted you around to make you into something that you're not, to rename you and call you something else, to, that we live in a world today, really no matter where you fall politically, you think about it, that I can identify as anything I want. I can, we can change truth as relative. And God says, I'm going to put you back the way I created you, true under my word with a purpose, and you're here for a reason. And those three are all, are all done as individuals. It's not a group effort. I can't save you. 
I can tell you how to get saved. I can't save Keith, but Keith has to be the one that says, I need Jesus and I receive him. You have to do that on your own. The Bible says that thumping in your heart is Jesus saying, hey, I'm ready, are you? So those three, define freedom. I can't free you of, your, of the weight of your past, but I can show you to God and he can free you. I can't put you back at, to your creative purpose, but the Bible says that's what God does. Those are individual acts. And then the fourth one. In the next verse, he says, he goes from a a me God to a a we God kind of situation. He says, I'm going to now take all of you as my people. And then I'm going to paraphrase this. Then I'm going to do something big with you. We're going to change the world as a group and do more than any one of you could ever do on your own. And we're going to begin to move forward. It's, It's the team mentality. How good would an an offense on football be if it was just the quarterback? Him against 11 guys. What's his odds? Not good. But you put 11 guys in that are all on the same team, all on the same playbook, know what the play is, going, what's the win? How do you score points in football? You cross the what? The end zone. You cross the goal line. That God even defines our win. In baseball, how do you score points? You go all the way around and step on what? Home plate, right? Basketball, you shoot the ball, it goes in the hoop. It get, you get what? Points. We know the win. <clears throat> See, God does that for us. He says, here's your win. I'm going to use all of you to go out there to those people who need me and don't know they need me to share me. And everyone that comes through the door, there's a win. Everybody that comes through those doors, to me, that's a win. But those of you visiting today, you may not know it. But I count you as a win. Why? Because God says, hey, he's going to begin to bring people in that we can show love to. Even if you're visiting, the Bible says, I believe, that that in this kingdom, whether it's here or First Baptist or First Methodist or First Christian or whatever church you may be in, that this kingdom, all of us are together, should be doing one thing together. The people on the outside need to hear about what's going on on the inside. Not of the church, but of me. And that's where we begin to see happen. See, the first promise he gives us is what we would say is knowing God. He says, I will bring you out. That's the promise of salvation. God promises us that I'm going to give you away out of the mess you're in. What's the mess we're in? The mess that we're in before Jesus is we have a debt of sin. We have something that is keeping us from God. And we have no way to fix it. Nothing works. But God said, there's only one way, only one thing that's going to fix it. I remember a few years back um, in my truck, I had something wrong with my truck. And I remember, um, it may have been you, Corey. We may have been talking to Corey here. And something happened, and I needed one tool to turn one thing to fix one part of my truck, and it would work. But the only thing that was going to fix it was not the person, somebody with the tool. See, God says, you can pull all the tools out of your toolbox you want. But none of them are going to work. None of them are going to fit that screw to replace that part to get down inside of you and fix it. You need one thing. And God says, I'm going to promise you that. And that's what we receive in Jesus. Jesus who paid the debt that we could never pay. Who the Bible says once and for all lets us walk in into God's presence and say, I'm home, Daddy. And be able to do that through salvation. 
Because I truly believe we, we've got stuff out of whack. Churches are telling people, you need to get, get your life right, get cleaned up, put all your stuff away, get, you know, look, look apart. And I truly believe that's just not what the Bible says. Because here's the truth, and I put it on the screen for you. You don't change to come to church. You come to church to let God change you. Because the people who change to come to church don't last. But the people who come to church to let God change them are the ones that last. Ask me how I know. For 23 years, I've watched it. When somebody comes in, just, God, I don't really care what people think. Here's my mess. They more than likely become people who are going to stick around forever because they've realized, I can't do this without God. But the people who try to put a mask on and come in phony and say, well, you know, praise Jesus, brother, praise Jesus, sister, and, and look the part, they don't last. I truly, I don't really know that I believe this idea of sometimes people say, well, fake it till you make it. With God, you can fake it all. The, you can fake it, but you're you're never going to make it. You can't get pa past the eternal life. That salvation is God's first desire. Look what the Bible says here in Titus three. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous and gave us an uh, gave us a confidence that I get to go to heaven. I get to go to eternity. So knowing God does this for us. It settles. Your eternity. Okay, so now we got lost people saved. Now we got to get saved people pastored. Well, what does that look like for us? We call it finding freedom. Finding freedom, God says in, in Exodus, I will free you from your slavery. Well, I thought you just freed me. That was the freedom from this earth. Now he says, I got to get you out of Egypt. I got you out of your mess. Now I got to get the mess off of you. Melanie's not in here this morning. She's next door, but she cringes every time I do this. But I think it's a great example. Anybody have, a, have one of their kids that they grow, as they grew up that went through the poop-throwing phase? Or the dirty diaper phase that ugh, Emma did? We'd find Emma, and she'd take a diaper off and throw it in the floor, and it's just everywhere. Anybody, rec you know, that smell? You open the door, and you're like, oh, God, this is going to be a bad morning. Right? Some of y'all are nodding. Some of y'all are about to have more babies and you're about to experience this all over again. There's something in that, like, you can wash your hands, you can scrub with bleach, you can, you know, surgically scrub, and it's like, I still smell it. See, I think that's what God does for us. God brings us out, come on in. I know you stink, you've been standing in it, you've been rubbing it all over yourself. I know you've been trying to hide it and put perfume on and cologne and, and soap. And the Bible says Jesus just invites us in. Well, now he's gotten you into heaven. He's got taken care of your eternity. But the Bible says that your freedom comes when he takes the stink off of you. And some of us just have to let God remove the stink. You still, you still smell like you were where you lived. Somebody that if you meet somebody on a, on a Sunday morning that's been in the bar all night long, can you tell they've been at the bar? Why? Because you can what? You can smell them. And the Bible says that God brings us in and says, okay, now I'm going to take that off of you. I'm going to take that past off of you and free you from it so that you can, you can serve me freely without worrying about what I did and where I've been. That there's part of us that's a growing up, that these babies, and by the way, I don't know if y'all know this, but from July to, say, November, we've got nine babies on the way. 
Right? But all of these babies, not one of them, not one of them is going to pop out and go, Hi, my name is Clint. I was born on Tuesday, you know, and just start telling and start talking. None of them will be able to do physics. None of them will be able to drive. None of them will be able to even feed themselves. And do we expect that of any of them? No. Why? Because they're, they're babies. See, God says, listen, it's time for you to grow up, but to get you to grow up, I got to get you to quit smelling like the place you came out of. And that's why we say it's so important to find freedom. And that happens, I truly believe, in the context of all these small groups, grow groups that we're having. I'm going to skip through this fast. In Romans 7.25, the Bible says that through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, I was made free from all this sin and death. That it's finding freedom is God offering us a plan to do something we could never take, do on our own. See, salvation takes care of our eternity, but finding freedom, you can skip on down to this one. Finding freedom is about the quality of life on earth. He'll save you. But he says, hey, while you're there, why don't we not live your life smelling like the place you came out of? Why don't, we, why don't you let me help clean you up? And why don't we let me put you in a group of people who all smelled like you did and have let me help them? And they all understand where you're coming from. They have all been through that. That's why life happens in group. You see, salvation is instant. But finding freedom is a process. And that's what I'm telling you. Don't quit your process. Your past is defining you. You're finding your today. And it's defining your future. But it doesn't have to. So we've got lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people now need to be trained. And this is what we call discover our purpose. God says, I'll redeem you. I'm going to promise us restoration to put you back in the place where you, put you back into your original created being, who you are. The thing that makes you excited, doing the thing that gets you going, a part of a team. And God says, I'm going to redeem you. He uses this word redeem, and it simply means to put back in its original, to put back in its original content, or intent. That is your created purpose. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, because we're united with Christ, we've received this inheritance from God. He chose us. Here's one of my one of my abortion thoughts, if you want to know. He chose us in advance. And he makes everything work out according to our plan or his plan? His plan. When we pursue his promises. I'm not going to go in this deep today, but if I can leave you with something on this, it's this. That we, we are changing the way, and we're making this announcement today. We're changing the way we do things because we don't want people to do this. Don't live not knowing who you are and what you were created to do. And we're making some major overhauls coming in September to our, what we would call our growth track. For those of you who have done step one, you've done step two, some of you have done step two, but not step one, all of that, we're going we're gonna to bring it down to this. And you can go ahead and put that logo up. We're making it all this. We're calling it One Step Connect. And it's coming in September. It'll be one evening, one time, where you can come in and say, hey, I want to make Believers my home, and I want to get on a team, and I want to get started. No more step one, step two, step three. Did I come to 401? Did I go to 301? Did I do this? So if you've done step one and step two, 
you keep right on sailing. If you've done one or two, but not both, we're going to ask, ask you to come join us. We're going to feed you, take care of your kids, and one night we're going we're gonna to help people because we've been asking, we've been talking to those going through the classes and those who want to come but can't. What is it? What's, what's holding you back? And almost everybody says, well, membership makes me think about a gym. I'm not joining a gym, but I'm, I'm home to a family. What do you feel like when you come in the back door? I feel like I'm home. Okay, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a way to make Believer's Church your home, and we're calling it One Step Connect. We're going to get you in, get you connected. If you want to come visit and check it out, you're welcome to do that, see what it's all about. But it gives everybody a place to come in, to get you on the team, to get your playbook, to get you a jersey, and to say, hey, you're now going to be on defense. Hey, you're going to play offense. Hey, you're going to the ushers. You're going to the greeters. You're going to the, to the parking lot team. You're going to the kids team. You're going to you know, the worship team. And, and to get all of us, because I truly feel like we're kind of failing at that, because I want you to know your purpose so you don't live your life wondering, why am I here? Because if you're wondering why you're here, then I've failed. And I think we're, gonna, we're working hard to, to tighten this up. This one step connect. You see, in everyone, God created us to be a part of a family with a purpose. A pastor that I follow and, and listen to him on, sun, on Mondays, kind of when I do, I sit and listen to a message. He says, we all are a part of a tribe. And if you're not in your tribe, you're looking for your tribe. And I truly believe that's what we're doing with this one-step connect, letting people, hey, I like this. Well, how do I make this? I feel at home. I know everybody. I'm, I'm, on, I'm where I need to be, but how do I seal the deal? How do I connect with the church? How do I make this my family and get my purpose a part of the bigger purpose? You see, when you do that, and how you do that is to know the one that designed you. The closer to God we can get you, the closer to God we can connect you with Him, it's easy to figure out what you were designed for. If I want to know how the, the new sp a space shuttle works, I go to the guy who designed it, not, not the guy who painted it. Right? Paint may be pretty, but I need to talk to the guy who built it, who designed it, who, who knows what every wire does. And we do the same thing to God. Look what the next one says. This is our last one Ushers, you guys can do your thing. We're going to end a little different today. So one of you guys can go ahead and grab the lights for me. This is number four. And it says, I will take you as my own people. Now he's gone from the singular to the plural, my group. He says, I will take you as my own people. That God promises us fulfillment. And here's the truth, guys. Fulfillment comes... Fulfillment comes when you're part of a team doing something bigger than you could ever do by yourself. I hear people tell me all the time, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just me over here in the corner. I'm just doing my thing for God. Well, then I, I question you because your thing for God is a part of God's thing for God. And you're just doing your thing because you don't want to really do his thing. No matter how right, holy, and righteous you think your little thing is, God designed us to do this together. God designed us. To, this is why I tell people the hope of the world is the local church. Why? 
because we're the ones that are, that are tasked with the responsibility to go out there and tell people why we have hope. And the bottom line is the devil's trying to steal that. The verse probably most of you know, even if you've never grown up in church, this verse, John 10, 10, says the thief comes to steal, kill, and what? He comes to steal your purpose, to steal your future, to steal the vision of God for your life. He comes, and if he can, to kill you and take you out. If he doesn't kill and take you out, he's going to kill your hope, kill your joy, and make you miserable. And then if he can't steal it, he can't kill it, he's going to try to destroy everything that matters to you. Why do you think the, the devil is destroying families and relationships and parental kid relationships, marriages, friendships? Because he wants to isolate you and get you by yourself because if you're by yourself, you can't be a part of the team.